this has been a really strange year, I think. Um, you know, when you look back on it, um, and when you kind of look forward to the year to come, it, it's a really weird thing to kind of reflect on. It's a really weird year to reflect forward to um, because it's become such a time of unpredictability. There's been so much change in culture, um, you know, in our church, um, in this world. You know, I was reflecting back and thinking, goodness me, this time last year, we were still socially distant at ticketed services, um, wearing masks, had to go outside um, to so uh, socialize, um, and couldn't have coffee in the building. And here we are today. I mean, it, it, I don't know if you feel this, but it feels to me like that was sort of an eternity ago. Um, it feels like we've kind of had three years in one year in many ways, um, which is really weird. Um, and so I was praying about how I kind of like reflect on this last year and how we reflect forward. And, and there was three things that kind of came to me that I think both describe the year we've been on and I think also describe the year I think that we're going to go on to come. And they are this. They are, I think we need to, um, and I think we have been, um, uh, we need to embrace a new reality with renewed hope while keeping the main thing the main thing. Embrace a new reality with renewed hope, keeping the main thing a main thing. Um, embrace a new reality. Um, reality can be quite threatening. Um, reality can be quite threatening because it's not always what we want. Um, you know, I think we've all experienced this over COVID. It's not what we want. We want something that was, or maybe we want something that's kind of in the future, and we don't like the reality that's before us. But the reality, but you know, the thing is, is that reality is the only thing we have, and more than that, reality is the only place where we can kind of know and meet with God. But if you're anything like me, um, it's very easy to kind of live in a past that you long to see a return for, or to kind of live in an idealized future that we kind of want to see realized. Um, and I think the danger of that is that it stops us from embracing the reality of the present moment we're in, the uncomfortable things and the exciting things, because it's only in the place of the current moment of reality of where we are, the good and the bad, that actually we, we see God at work, that we encounter him, that we meet with him. And, and this has been a, a, a difficult um, year, a year of transition and change. And we're not now the church of, uh, that we were a few years ago. We're the church that we are today. Um, you know, we've come from a place of restrictions to a place of normality. And yet there's still people who I know are part of this church but haven't felt safe yet to come back to regular meetings. That's a strange reality to be in. Um, you know, we um, have gone from the church we were to the church we are. We've had new people join. And at the same time, we've had people leave. You know, you can come on a Sunday. There'll be people you won't see, maybe because they're a different service to the one you, um, you attend, but you're used to seeing them. There's some new people. You don't recognize them. That's strange. It dislocates us because the normal things that we perhaps reached out for to kind of like reassure us and to kind of stabilize us and, and let us know, oh, I know where I am have moved, and we put our hands out to reach for them, and we just grasp thin air. There's a new reality. You know, financially, we continue to be in a different context. You know, our income um, since, I think, 2017 has gone down to, uh, gone down by an extent of, I think, about £100,000. You know, that's a huge difference. That's a hugely different reality that we inhabit today, and hugely kind of changes what's possible and what's not possible. You know, volunteer-wise, just like many churches up and down this country, we um, have had a completely understandable, you know, drop-off in the number of people um, volunteering for things, you know, particularly with, um, you know, with kids' ministry. Um, that changes the reality of what's 
possible. You know, we've made, we talked about it earlier, the, you know, sad but difficult decision to close Lantern. You know, come autumn, that's going to feel like a really different reality. Um, and different doesn't mean bad, but different does mean adjustment. Because success, therefore, in a new reality, God's action and how we kind of might see it in a new reality is going to look and feel different. And the danger if we don't embrace the reality of the present, if our expectations are set by the past or framed by what we want to see in the future, however important that might be, we'll miss and won't celebrate what God is doing now in the present. And the reality is this. He's up to stuff. He's working out power in this church, but it is easy to miss it. It is easy to miss it. Um, you know, and it's easy to miss it by not kind of embracing the reality of where we are. You know, it's easy to focus on what we can't do relative to maybe what we used to be able to do and to therefore miss and not see what we can do in this present moment. You know, we need to look for what God is doing. It might not be what we'd hoped he'd do, but it's what he is doing. And what he is doing is good because it's him who is doing it. So we need to embrace a new reality, but we need to embrace that new reality with renewed hope. This has been a year, I think it's going to continue to be a year, of engaging afresh and seeing God move. We have had a number of new people join our community at Redland. We've had around, I think, 10 people in their 20s and 30s start coming along on Sundays. We've uh, seen Alpha run for the second year in a row. This time in person, we had, I can't, was it around 12? I'm looking at Katie. Around 12 guests come on that. One of those people um, has made a faith commitment. They're going to be having their baptism vows renewed um, by kind of immersion in water in a few weeks' time. Um, toddlers, which wasn't able to run for a significant portion of the pandemic, has restarted, and we have a waiting list. You know, you come every week and it's full, and there is a waiting list of people who want to come along to join in with the stuff that we're doing here. Um, we've restarted J-Zone in the Zone, which are our after-school kids clubs on, a f on every other Friday. And every other Friday, we have a whole load of kids, some from the church, but quite a lot who are at, not connected to our church at all, who are from the local community, who come along for fun games and craft and to learn about Jesus. Every other week, people coming to learn about Jesus. Um, Chatterbox is um, uh, happening again for the first time in a few years. You know, a whole load of kids from this church and from the community coming. And again, like, that's a great example of where we need to kind of embrace um, a new reality because, you know, I think doing Chatterbox this year will be a bit like launching it for the first time because we've had a gap of two years. Therefore, you lose some of those kind of natural connections and stuff. But God is going to work powerfully through that. It might look different, but different doesn't mean bad. Different means different. Um, uh, we've got coming up in a few weeks the Jubilee event where we're going to be on the green. We're going to have a bouncy castle, live music, an event for the community where we can kind of celebrate together with people this key event in our nation's history. Michael's already talked about it, but we've had the launch of the Ukraine Welcome Hub. And, um, and the story of that was I was on a Zoom um, where they were kind of asking church leaders whether they might be interested in doing it. And they said, oh, we quite like you to commit. And I sat there and thought, well, I've not talked to anyone about it, and I've got absolutely no idea if anyone's going to be remotely interested in getting involved or whether anyone's going to be able to host. Um, but, and I felt a bit overwhelmed, to be honest, and a bit scared at the reality. But I said yes um, and, um, and thought, gosh, this could be a dreadful, dreadful embarrassment for me, but never mind. Um, and 
before I'd even told people that we were um, going to do it, people were coming to me saying, we'd like to do something that looks like this. It just felt like God was on the move. And we've got 15 families who are part of this church who are either hosting or going to host um, people from Ukraine. There's a whole load of people who um, have kind of given freely of their time to helping run um, this uh, coffee morning that we've got every week on a Wednesday morning in here with people coming to this kind of safe space to kind of connect with one another. It's just something of Jesus at work. And us being a presence of renewal, um, you know, as his people in this place. But there's so much more than that because there's loads of stuff that, that, that kind of we don't often think counts, but it does. And it counts because, like, it's, it's not the stuff that's on a rotor. It's not the stuff that goes on the email. It's not the stuff that we kind of, like, advertise. With, but it's the stuff that individuals are kind of doing across this city in a variety of ways. We've got a whole load of people who um, are serving as mentors on the Mentor Me program uh, with 61, working with ex-offenders. We've got a number of people who work with Transforming Lives for Good in Eastern, mentoring children who've not had the easiest start in life. We've got a whole load of people who are involved with In Hope, serving the poorest of the city down in Eastern. Um, we've got um, a number of people who are involved in the prayer barge down in Temple Key, interceding for um, the places of work and the people who work there. There's a number of people who are involved in food banks across the city. I could go on. And more than that, Every single one of us are ministering in the places we are placed. No one's ever going to shout about it. You know, no one's ever going to kind of like herald the fact that you're kind of discipling your child or your grandchild. No one's going to herald the fact that you've uh, engaged in an act of love with your neighbor or some, um, you know, person you've bumped into. But that is happening all over. And I hear stories all the time of, of things that, you know, like, don't sound sexy, don't sound impressive, but are examples of God at work through ordinary Christians in this world being a presence of renewal in the places where they are placed. God is at move. And so we embrace a new reality, but we embrace a new reality with renewed hope. Lastly, you know, we are in a continually difficult situation. Like, we're, we're in an unpredictable culture, and we're in a place where I think it is increasingly hard to be church. You know, church is beginning to move from a place where it's perceived as irrelevant to a place where, um, by some, it's perceived as kind of a place of oppression, and it's something that's dangerous. It's a difficult season to be church. And so how do we kind of navigate a kind of difficult season um, to be church? Well, it's essential that we keep the main thing the main thing that we resist the kind of ever-present pull to focus on peripherals that matter, but that aren't the main thing. And what's the main thing? The main thing is our mission. And our mission is, you know, inviting and equipping. It's both um, uh, people to be apprentices of Jesus and seeing them transformed by him, you know, uh, being formed by him to be a presence of renewal in the places we are placed. That's our mission. You know, apprenticeship to Jesus is the key. It's not just kind of, um, it, it, it's the church where people press into Jesus and his call to apprentice their lives to him that changes the world around it. Um, Unless that is the center, our ministry becomes meaningless and powerless. And everything kind of is an inflow or an outflow of that. Our ministry will fall flat. Um, this is a difficult moment to be church, as I said. And um, I've been reading recently um, about another difficult moment uh, for the church. And that was in um, a very different moment in history, but in the years of the early church. 
Um, and I, I've read this book by Alan Carrader, and it's absolutely fascinating, kind of some of the things that he says. I don't know if you've ever kind of, it's an academic book, um, but it's moderately readable. Um, but I don't know if you've ever looked at anything of the early church. The early church is fascinating. Um, so Carrader says about the early church, he says that the church um, at the time, you know, had a lot of things going against it. There was oppositions of laws. There were social conventions. He says these were formidable disincentives. He says, in addition, the possibility of death in persecution loomed over the pre-Constantinian church. In many places, baptismal candidates sensed that every Christian was by definition a candidate for death. More generally, Christians knew that they were considered members of a dubious group and were therefore vulnerable to being turned in by their neighbours or others who wanted to see them deprived of privileges. They had to be cautious. And he goes on to kind of detail what that looked like. And, and what that meant in reality is that um, you couldn't just turn up to a church service. They put people on the door. There was a deacon on the door of their church gatherings to quite literally turn people away who just rocked up wanting to come to a church service. Um, they, they, they insisted that people went through, and they were really cautious about who they even let into this, a, proce a, pro um, a process of what was called catechesis, of kind of like really intense discipleship that would last maybe a year to two years. If you entered catechesis, you might, if you're lucky, be allowed to come to some of the church meeting, but they'd boot you out before the Eucharist happened. Um, it wasn't until you were baptized that would take one to two years that you were allowed in for the whole of the church service. They were discouraged from talking about their faith publicly for fear that they would get people into trouble. You know, church leaders didn't encourage people to evangelize. And Carida says this. I just think this is incredible. Um, you know, he says that the church in that moment grew. And it didn't just grow. It grew rapidly. He says, according to the evidence at our disposal, the expansion of the churches was not organized. It wasn't the product of a mission program. It simply happened. The growth was not carefully thought through. Early Christian leaders did not engage in debates between rival mission strategies. He goes on. He says, we will see that the growth happened despite an evident lack of planning and control. So the question then is how? Because it seems like we've got something to learn from them. How, despite the fact they're turning away people from church meetings, there's no plan, are they growing? And Carida's answer is not one that I think any of us would have come to. His answer is he said that they were patient. He says that they were patient. And he details what that means. He says the early Christians had a perspective that they called patience. They believed that God was in charge of events. They knew they were not. So they were not surprised when the church's growth was uneven, that there were certain areas where there were concentrations of Christians and other areas where there were no believers at all. Christian leaders didn't think or write about how to systematize the spread of Christianity. They were not concerned to cover the world evenly with evangelistic efforts. So what did they do then? How did they grow? He says this. He said, instead, the Christians concentrated on developing practices that contributed to a habitus. And by a habitus, he means um, like a, a lifestyle, the way they lived, the kind of values they held, the way they kind of were, the way they uh, were in the world that characterized both individual Christians and Christian communities. They believed that when the habitus was healthy, 
the churches would grow. They believed that when the habitus was healthy, the churches would grow. To translate that, um, they focused on their kind of practices of apprenticeship. They focused on cultivating rigorous and deep practices of prayer, of worship, of hospitality, of serving the poor. And it was as they gave themselves to those things that these people were transformed in radical ways that everyone around them was like, what's going on there? I want in on that. And were intrigued and were drawn in and themselves kind of began this kind of journey of apprenticing their lives to Jesus. You know, I find it fascinating that that was the way of the early church. You know, apprenticeship to Jesus is the main thing. It's our core ministry, and patience is the way. We can't manufacture a move of God. All we can do is commit ourselves to the right practices and wait in expectation. God is in charge. We are not. We can't make it happen. We won't always know the next step when we'd like to know the next step because he won't always let us know on the timeline that we'd like to know. Um, We can't always kind of see things happen on the timeline that we choose because ultimately it is God who is in charge and not us. And so we need to be patient, fixing our eyes on Jesus and what it means to follow him and live in his way, which is why we need to give ourselves to those kind of four words that I was talking about earlier, you know, in power, where we kind of gather together to worship him collectively as a community, where we we deepen in small groups with one another and, um, you know, like share our faith with one another in a way that's encounterable and where we can encourage one another and pray for one another, where we have a pattern, where we each have a kind of considered reflective rule of life that roots us in Jesus and living in his world, in his way, and where we relate, where we position ourselves in this world, in in a way where we can be a presence of renewal to the people around us, where we can love them, where we can bless people, where we can serve. And so we need to embrace a new reality with renewed hope while keeping the main thing, the main thing.